I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just, Just Getting, Getting By. A free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career. Hey everyone, it's Marquis. This week we spoke with Olivia Sandoval. Olivia started her training at NYU's Experimental Theater Wing before transferring to CalArts in LA. We talked about the process of getting an agent, taking moralistic stands as an artist, the craft of auditioning, identifying your niche, and general well-being tactics. She is grounded, focused, and seems to have perfected the art of becoming friends with the struggle along the pathway to success. Olivia is a remarkable character actress. You've seen her on season three of the FX series Fargo, For the People, created by Shonda Rhimes, and most recently, AMC's Lodge 49, which premiered its second season last night. So make sure to check it out. But for now, please enjoy our interview with the exceptional Olivia Sandoval. May I just say you look absolutely radiant. Thank and I'm you. not saying that to like be polite or for people to think that I'm nice. <laughs> you really do. You're so full of life. I've oh, missed you're... you tremendously. Missed you know, we you. spent like a year spending a lot of time together yes. when we were at NYU before you left. Yeah. And and like I have a visceral uh, reaction where I like jump up out of my seat sometimes and I'm just like put my arms out at the TV when I'm watching you oh. on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking miss her. Dude, I we were close. Yeah. I mean, that year was like, we were talking on the phone. My mom was reminding me. I was like, you guys, you would come home for vacation and you would be like talking on the phone to Jason like all the time. I'm like, you're right. Like middle school. Like middle school. It was cute. It was cute. Yeah. We were cute. We were still are cute. Yeah, it was yeah. like a little romance. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so let's see, you moved back here and you did two more years of college in California? Actually, I did four because oh. what ended up happening was, so CalArts, like many theater programs, don't typically let you transfer in. You have to start from the beginning to do like their acting program. Mm-hmm. But I called them and I was like, you know, I know you guys like me. What can you do for me? I just did this like money help. And so they said, what if you stayed for four years, but you got two degrees in four years? Mm. So I got my BFA and my MFA at the same time. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, and it was incredible. They don't really encourage people to do that anymore because it's insane. And it doesn't make any sense. I was was like, some classes in in like MFA 1, some were in the MFA 3, some were, you know, BFA 2, BFA 4. So it was like all over the place and it was like really crazy. But I got to know everybody in the entire school. So that was really fun. And I needed it. I needed that training, I felt. And it's a conservatory program? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Classic. And you, from what I hear through the grapevine, you're still involved over there. Like you, you, you did a speech or something there recently. Did um, I hear? You went to talk to like the incoming freshmen. I, I heard something that you I, went back recently. I, I haven't been back on campus, but like every once in a while, they'll call me and ask me some questions for like an alumni magazine or something oh, okay. like that. And I love, I love CalArts. I had a great time there, and I'm always happy to, to help them out with any way I can to talk, talk to the kids. I like to talk to the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when okay. you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, a running theme of people we've been talking to, NYU alumni have said, you know, that the education at NYU was so focused on the craft mm-hmm. and did not prepare people for the industry. 
Um, and Literally the question I was about to ask. Yeah. So perfect. Right, except with the exception of the Stone Street film and TV studio, mm-hmm. we think that that one kind of helped people prepare. But other than that, ETW in particular... There was no sense of, like, how to get an agent, what the different types of agents were that you could try to get, like, anything like that. And so I'm wondering how, what your experience was at CalArts. Similar, you know, because CalArts, the reason why I was attracted to the school and it was an easier transition from ETW is because it is very experimental. And I knew that's what I wanted. What I liked about the CalArts program is he also got Shakespeare and, like, speech, and it was a little bit more diverse in terms of, like, you know, classic training versus, like, woo-woo stuff rolling around on the floor. Because I love that. <laughs> I live for that. But it was, it did feel kind of shocking because it's like the your fourth year is all about industry and showcase and how to get an agent. And it's not like they don't prepare you, but it felt like a big bucket of ice water because, like, you spent three years just being like, don't worry about it. Just find yourself. It's okay. <laughs> and then it's like, actually, don't find yourself. Here's this box. Get into it and set sail. Uh-huh. So um, I have a lot of privilege because both my parents are in the industry so I already had a manager when I was in college uh, someone I'd known for my entire life who's incredible I don't think I'd have a career without him so I had a lot of preparing just from growing up but I do know that a lot of my classmates really struggled with integrating all of this freedom that they found then with the realities of the business I think that was kind of shocking yeah I think that was the same thing that happened with I heard we have a mutual friend, Laganja. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Jay finished school, that was when we first met and trying to figure out like how to get an agent for dance and like what he needed to do or like where he could go to like do choreography to to then get an agent. Everything was kind of like up in the air for him, and then he was just like, "I'm gonna just gonna go in RuPaul's Drag Race." Yeah. Like, worked yeah it worked yeah it worked it worked (laughs) it worked but still at the same time it's like he's still trying to become that choreographer that he studied to be right you know and he was such a star I mean he's a star now but in CalArts like he he stood out to me from the beginning in terms of just like he just has that presence like you just want to watch him right so good old Jay good old Jay (laughs) I love Jay (laughs) so what have you been working on recently so I just wrapped season two of a show called Lodge 49 mm-hmm. on AMC, which I'm obsessed with. It's like the most incredible character, a uh, very um, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos type, mm-hmm. like black turtleneck CEO, completely wacky. This season, like, I, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it's just... What's the show about? The show is about a fraternal order, kind of like Freemasons, mm. um, a fraternal order of the Lynx, in this case, based in Lodge 49, Uh, based in Lodge 49, based in Long Beach, and Lodge 49 is the location in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's pretty much this down-and-out surfer who's been through a lot of tragedy in his life, and he's injured, and he can't surf anymore, and he stumbles across this lodge, and he becomes a part of the lodge and finds family and hope and a future there. And uh, it's also very magical, the show. It's kind of described as a modern fable a lot of the times. It's humorous, it's dark, it's really not like anything else on TV. And I know that's something that people say, but it's really, really true (laughs) in this case. Um, So yeah, we just wrapped, we were shooting in Atlanta and I was really happy to be done in Georgia before I had to make like a moral decision about whether or not I would work in Georgia again, because that happened like right when we wrapped, the heartbeat bill was passed. Yeah. So that was kind of crazy to be there at that time and like to be with the crew and I understand their perspective. They're afraid of work, of their work going away. And they're like, right. please come back and work here. I'm like, yes, but also basic human rights. So right. 
Um, so that was kind of crazy. But that's coming out anyway. I digress. Lodge 49 comes out season two on August 12th, and I'm super, super Nice. I got to get yeah. caught up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season one's on Hulu, so you can catch up with season one. And cool. I have two episodes in season one, but they expand me for season two. Oh, nice. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so when you graduated, what was the process of, uh, how, what, were you, what were your days like? You know, you, you're, oh, you're out on, the, like, I know that I was like, oh, what to do so I just like I, I went and got like a little uh, producing gig and then that rolled into another producing gig and I just kind of forgot about acting for, uh-huh. so like you were determined to be an actor what yeah. were your days like a lot of despondent days not doing very much of anything that the first year after school was really tough and my I was still so my husband graduated a year before me and I had one year left, and so we decided to move out of Valencia, the suburb where CalArts is located, just about 45 minutes outside of L.A. Where Six Flags is. <coughs> you got it. <laughs> um, to, and we lived in this tiny studio apartment in East Hollywood, like right next to the freeway. And we lived there for two years, my last year in school and then the year afterwards. And I just have so many memories of being in that studio apartment, and you can hear the freeway, and you can smell it, and like just sitting in this bed, like, what now? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I, cause I, like I like to put it as I white knuckled through school. Like I just was like, I gotta get through it. I'm gonna be the best, and I'm gonna do it, and it's gonna be fine. And then it was quiet, and I had a complete freak out because I was so used to being scheduled and so used to being like just not a time to think. And I had all this time to think, and then all of the crippling self doubt came in, and I felt paralyzed. Like I didn't. I wish I could say I was proactive and I got right into it. And it's not that I didn't do anything, but I really felt like I was kind of helpless and like I had made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I going to do this? What was I thinking? I'm going to be one of those sad people who doesn't let go of their dreams. And then I wake up and I'm dead. Like, this is going to be horrible. Yeah. I really did. It was a rough year. Oh, how did you overcome that? Um, You know... It took me a while, honestly. It was several years like that. I, I always, I have a strong work ethic, so I always showed up when I needed to show up. But it was a long process of reintroducing myself to the artist in me instead of I'm going to go be an actor in Hollywood and understanding there's a reason I was attracted to this in the beginning and it's about expression. And also, frankly, I had to recover from some trauma. You know, I mm-hmm. all through school, like I was just trying to run from trauma. Mm-hmm. And then here I am in my like early mid 20s and I had to face it. And then that was a few more years of like letting go and untangling all that stuff that had gotten so tangled um, to find freedom to be able. Because when you walk into an audition room and you have all of that on you, that's like, am I good enough? I'm not good enough. There's no way this is terrible. That's going to be the overpowering smell in the room. <laughs> And I needed to clear that out and 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 discover myself again so that I could show up maybe and be present as an actor and truly do my job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very real thing, like self-doubt and your own internal shit, like other people being able to see it. Yeah. Especially when you're in a room for an audition, when you're already your own worst critic mm-hmm. and then you're like, these people are going to hate me too because yeah. I hate me. Yeah. yeah. And all those stories we tell yourself that you're not enough this. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was like, I don't look the right way. And so I thought that if I could, somehow I thought that shaming myself into fitting a certain mold would help me. And then I all of a sudden realized, well, not all of a sudden, it took me a long time, that I realized that my differences are what 
make me stronger and what make me stand out. So if I'm resisting them, I'm just going to be in like mediocre build. Mm-hmm. It might be fine, you know, but I'm going to, I'm not going to shine. Right. Hence mediocre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hence mediocre. Yeah. So I was, I felt like I wasn't really uh, delivering what I had to offer for a long time because I was doing so much guesswork as to how I could change myself to better fit their idea instead of just making bold choices and showing up fully. The bolder the move, the less anyone questions it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. How do you prepare for an audition? Um, I start out by printing the sides, which I know sounds like an obvious thing, but like I have this process where I get the email and I print the sides just because if I know that it's on a sheet of paper that I eventually will go look at it (laughs) instead of like leaving it to the last second. So I print the sides, I go and I just, I take the sides around with me everywhere I go because sometimes I'll get an idea and I'll write it down. I take them with me when I cook breakfast and I I mutter them to myself and I read them again and again. Of course, if there's a full script, I read the full script immediately. Um, But yeah, I like to take them with me and I find they kind of become a part of my, uh, you know, cellular system if I have them like in my pocket Mm -hmm. or in my purse and I'll just be going over them again and again and every time I do I find something a little different and I try and just be as prepared as I possibly can and then 20 minutes before the audition I try and forget everything that I prepared and just go in and be free knowing that it's going to be in there somewhere to support me if I did the work right subconsciously bring that preparation back (laughs) yeah yeah because for a long time I was like making a choice for every single line you know like in this line I want to accomplish this and I want to have it sound like this and then I was really stuck in the room because you don't know what the casting director or whoever's reading with you, you don't know what their, what their interpretation of it's going to be and you don't want to get thrown. So I try and stay as open as possible because then those are really fun moments in the audition room where you can surprise yourself. I always try, my goal in any audition is to get the casting director or whoever's reading with you to stop thinking about their lunch. <laughs> That's my goal. Yeah. If I can just get them to kind of sit up a little bit and forget about whatever else in their life is stressing them out, even if I don't get the part, I know that I've done my job. And right. they'll probably call me back. Have you done work on commercials? I have never booked a commercial. I was doing auditions for commercials for a while, and I am terrible at it. I, How so? I, no one wants to buy Crest toothpaste from me. I just, I don't know. I'm like, why you not? Your teeth are wonderful. <laughs> like, I'm like, like literally the smile. best teeth we have seen all week. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I must not be able to fully mask the like bullshit that I, because I don't know. Like I have so much respect for actors that can go in and do it. And I don't know. I guess I just, they could smell that I, I come and be like, Hi, I'm like, no, she, she doesn't, she doesn't want to. But it's not her. You know, and also it's awkward being, you know, this is the, the biracial land thing is like, they would always call me in for like Spanish language stuff and then look at me and be like, you white. They're like, what You're are you lie, doing Tina? here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what is this? You know, and they're not That's allowed to funny. ask you, what are you? But sure. they do all the time. Right. And then there's that. Really? And, you know, and then there's also the inherent racism of like, you know, marketing towards a certain demographic being like, no, make it more like, ay, 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 and I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. This mm. is too much for me. So I made the conscious decision to stop because it wasn't, I wasn't booking anything. It wasn't doing anything for my spirit. So I just sort of said, you know what? I've got a retail job. I can keep paying the rent. I'm mm-hmm. just going to walk away from this. And it was a personal decision. And, you know, I completely respect, like I said, any actor who can get in there and do that and do their job and do it well, mad respect. I just suck at it <laughs> flat out. 
Tell me about this retail job. When did you have a retail job and <laughs> what worked, did you do? I worked retail for eight years off and on from like the age of 19 to basically when I booked Fargo. And it was an incredible job because my boss would always let me leave for an audition and was incredibly supportive. So I had a home that I could go to and make a paycheck and stay afloat. And also, it wasn't like pulling teeth to go and pursue my artistic dream. Um, so I owe a lot to this job. It was a store called New Stone Age. Um, my boss was named Fran Ayers. And sadly, the store is closing no. in just a couple just a couple weeks, which is, it's been there since 1981. It's very sad. Uh-huh. And I'm not the only story like this. This store has supported specifically women, young artists since mm. the 80s who have come in and had a home and had a, a steady paycheck to go to. So I owe so much. And I met my best friends in the whole world working at that store. You know, just all of us girls, they're all just chasing our dreams and doing stuff, you know, hustling. It was a very special experience. And I think that everybody, no matter what you're pursuing in life, should work some type of service job. Hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like it gets you kind of prepared on how to interact with people in various settings because you never know who that customer is you're going to be talking to yeah and it's like all of the personalities will come through this space at one point in time but I feel like that's such a rarity to find a retail job where they're supportive of what you're doing because so many there's so many retail managers who are like this is where I'm at and I just want you to be as miserable as I am. Yeah, or they're corporate and they really don't want to hear it. You yeah. know, it's like, that's really nice that you're doing that, but this but is your the, this is right. your job. You got to show up. Yeah. Right. Your PTO is your PTO you know, and you like, can what go to you, your audition. So quit, you know, what do you want me to do? So no, that was a very special thing. Um, that was super special. And also, I think it's really important to work in service because you realize how to not treat other people. Right. You know, so like, I would like to think that no matter where I go in my life and my career, I want to always remember, always remember those, you know, when people just come in and shit on you. Like, I don't ever want to be that person. I don't ever want to lose that perspective. Right. And the other thing working in that kind of setting is you learn, you never know who you can be talking to. Mm -hmm. Like, I work for Tashin, the book publisher, Mm -hmm. in their retail store in Beverly Hills and at the Farmer's Market at the Grove. Oh, I know it well, yeah. For three and a half years and while working for them it was like each person that came in if no matter if they were a dick or not it was like oh let me just be cute and nice because you never know who this person is and the next thing you know you find out it's john landis yeah (laughs) he's like wanting to tell you stories about him and michael jackson and it's like oh wow like true story true story yeah he ended up becoming one of my best customers wow (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's so important to be kind always to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, don't discriminate your kindness. Right. Because, you you know, it could be someone, no matter who it is, John Landis or not, that right. person is definitely going through a whole universe of trouble that you know nothing exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's also and, why it's important to be kind to people in service, because mm, you don't know what they're going through either. Right. And you don't <laughs> know who they'll be one day, yeah. you know? I want to hear about Fargo, but I'm really curious about the work you did for the Dialect. 
Is that some, did you have a dialect coach or did you yeah. work on that on your own? Well, they had a coach on set that was very, very diligent about, you know, I mean, it's such an important part of the show. But I had had that dialect in my back pocket Ooh. as kind of a party trick for a long time. <laughs> like everyone wanted me to do the Marge Gunderson voice at parties. Like, do Fargo. I don't remember you doing any Fargo uh, Well, you never asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I'm, I'm such a dialect nerd that I, I'm, and I'm a good mimic. So I, there are several things that I kind of just have as you know just and then when I was a kid I would do it as a hobby I was like oh I want to do Irish today and you know <laughs> I just do it on my own I was an only child I had a lot of time to go mm-hmm. and so um it was fun it was such the audition was such a fantasy come true because if you ever asked me like what would be an ideal role it's like well I want to go back in time and be in the movie Fargo so when I approached the audition I was like if nothing else I get to do that for 10 minutes and so <laughs> I really worked uh, for a couple of days just listening to clips from the movie over and over and over again I worked my butt off on that audition and then uh you know I had enough of the uh dialect down that then once the coach came in we really got to get super specific with it which was just such a dream come true and so much fun and then you know it's actually kind of hard for me to get back into it now but when I left I couldn't get out of it you know I came back to LA my friends were all like why are you still talking Where like you that? Shooting? In, in Calgary, Calgary, oh, okay. Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was there for wow. quite a while, like three and a half, four months. So, you know, coming back and like, it was really hard to, I, and today still I find myself going, oh yeah, geez, geez. <laughs> I, can't, I just got so oh, used yeah. to it. And it's such a nice, it's such a nice, like polite, comfortable. comfortable people. There's like ways to, you know, you, you don't have to come up with the words. You can just go, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like that's great. <laughs> you say a lot more with a lot less. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the Midwest is good for in a lot of ways. You no, know. True. Yeah, they're too polite. Yeah, you know. It's you know a, bless her heart. You know, that's all you gotta <laughs> say. That means like fifty different things. Oh, funny. Uh, were there? Was it a lot of callbacks? That, you know what? Through that process, only one, Ooh. which was crazy. I. My first audition was right before my birthday, right before my 29th birthday in December. And then I didn't hear anything for six weeks. And I just assumed it, you know, just, you know, I let it go. Like you let things go in this business. And then in early February or something like that, mid-February, I got the callback. And then, like, a few days later, I got the job. I It was all off of, you know, they taped me in the casting office. I never, there was no, like, going to the network, you know, chemistry test. You know, I assumed that there would be, like, five million steps. But it was just the two steps. And then next thing I knew, I was on a plane to Canada. It was oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I remember being in acting school and working with an actor. Then you're just like, oh, I just love exchanging with you mm-hmm. in, in the work. Um who, what actors have you had that type of reaction to in professional work? Gosh, I've been so lucky because I've had so many. But, you know, since we were talking about Fargo, Carrie Coon is Ugh. just... I immediately felt so safe with her. And it wasn't just... She reached out to me. I mean, she... All of everyone, you know, Ewan and David Thewlis, they all just took me under their wing and they were so excited. I was really nervous about like being, because I was so green. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done anything like this before. So I had so much to learn and I had so many questions Mm -hmm. and there was never one moment that they made me feel like I was slowing them down. They were, you know, in fact, Carrie would always say, ask questions, like ask for things you need. I, They lifted me up and carried me through that whole process and it felt like going to grad school all over again. But no, all of my scenes with Carrie were just, it was like a, it was like a professional sisterhood right away. It was so beautiful. And, and David Thewlis is like, I only had one scene with him, but... 
I can't even describe how he would, you know, at snap of his fingers, action would change, like his central nervous system would change into the character. It wasn't like I'm acting now. It was just like he became that person and it was the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I was really sad to find out that For the People was canceled. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it seemed like a really cool launching pad for a great new ensemble of young yeah. actors and all around our age. Susanna Flood. Um, Is that plays, the actress that plays Little Kate John? Little John. Oh, She's another person. I who live I, for her. And I, I talked about this a little bit on the Twitters um, because I, this, the closing scene of what we didn't know then was going to be our final season is her delivering this courtroom speech that like everybody, as soon as she came in and you know, when you go through a rehearsal on set, it's, you're not always sharp in rehearsal. It's like, wait, 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 what am I supposed, what's the line? Okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. She came in and knew every beat knew every nuance, knew exactly what her character wanted, exactly what her intentions were. And it was just like everybody sat up a little bit straighter and it woke everybody the fuck up. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, time to act. And when I went to do season two of Lodge 49, I thought about that moment the entire time. Like, okay, I've prepared. Yeah. Like, I know my stuff, but do I know it like that? Mm, right. Unbelievable. She's got a super... I mean, that whole cast is incredible. Susanna's got a super bright future. And yeah, I, um, looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait to see what she does next. What centers you? How do you... How do you- Keep your cool. Yoga. Yeah. Super important for my general well-being. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to paint the picture like I'm some like, you know, oh, yeah, I do yoga every day and I keep it super consistent. (laughs) I have weeks where I don't leave the couch. It happens. Um, But I've never once regretted doing going to a yoga class. I've never gone to a yoga class and been like, damn, (laughs) why did I do that? (laughs) Um, Writing, journaling. Spending time with my husband. My husband really, really centers me and calms me down. Cooking. Cooking is like everything to me. I can't wait. Long day. I can't wait to come home and just play around in the kitchen. Um, Because I find myself not thinking about anything. Which... For a thinker like me, is really fun. Yeah, I think one day I saw you like I'm like, oh, Olivia's roasting root vegetables. I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Love a good roast. <laughs> How did you meet your husband? Uh, Cal Arts, like the first week. Oh, um, you've been together for a while. We have been together. It'll be 11 years this fall. Wow. So, and we actually have our third wedding anniversary next week. Nice. Um, yeah, he's incredible, and I feel like we didn't plan to like spend our whole lives together. It just happened that way. Neither of us are conservative or religious or anything like that, but it just happened that I met the love of my life at 19. So it's like, okay, um, we've been able to have this uh, experience of growing up together, which is super interesting because it hasn't been just like a steady rise up. It's been like we grow a little bit and then something happens and we have to address it and then we grow from that experience. So um, that's what I think is the biggest strength in our relationship is that we haven't found an issue that we haven't been able to grow from. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate. Is he an actor? No, he's a musician. Oh, okay. Yeah, he graduated from a program at CalArts called Music Tech. So like synthesizers and electronic music and electronic robots. And he's a sound engineer and a sound mixer and designer. And he owns a, his own company and his own record label. He never stops. He constantly pushes me to work harder, not he pushes me, I see him and I want to work harder kind right. of thing. Um, he's amazing. Duncan Woodbury. So great. Yeah. Do you have a desire to have children? Yes, we do. We want kids very much. In fact, it's it's very much at the forefront of our conversations these days. We're hoping, I, I would love if, if everything goes to plan, which I'm sure it won't, you know, mm-hmm. in the next... When does it? When does it? Right. Exactly. You can't, you know... Um, 
the next year and a half, two years, okay. it would be nice to expand our family. We'll does see. It, does it make you nervous to have a child uh, when you're still pushing the career? You know, you're pushing to get to that next level. Yeah, in a sense, it does. I, if I had control over the situation, I would like book a series regular. Yep. And then get pregnant. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you can't get me. Um, but overall, how I feel, I mean, I, I have, like anyone else in an artistic career, I have anxieties about it just all falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do anything to make it all fall apart. Um, but this is my life. Right. You know, and I don't for one minute feel that I would like not if motherhood is something because motherhood is something I want to experience, I'm, I'm not going to sidestep that for an episode of law and order or something like that. It's just right. like, and you know what? I feel like a lot of women in the industry are doing this already. And I want to continue along um, that path of this is my body. This is my choice. You can't tell me what to do with my body. You can't tell me I have to wait to get pregnant because you don't want to see, I don't know what a pregnant woman on TV, or you don't want to see a postpartum woman on TV. Mm. That's like, you know, I, I, I don't want to buy into that. So even if I do have like sort of knee jerk anxiety, things of like, what if, what if the, you know, that's, that's so um, wrong. Mm-hmm. So no, thank you. Right. Yeah. Speaking of um, creating a path toward longevity and sustainability in your career, do you see yourself branching out into writing or producing or directing any of the behind the scenes creative roles? Definitely. I've always, you know, I, I don't I hesitate saying I've always been a writer mm-hmm. because what I don't have consistently is a practice, and that's definitely something I need to work on, but I've always written and I have a lot of ideas and I definitely want to create uh put you know put to life some of my writing um directing is something that I have always wanted to do but it scares the crap out of me (laughs) and I had one experience in college of directing a play that I wrote which was a nightmare and I feel like I've been traumatized from that ever since I'm like how does anybody do this like how the (laughs) hell does anybody do this no thank you I will show up on time and play make-believe that's what I'd like to do (laughs) so I I feel like now that I am a woman and I'm coming into myself (laughs) that maybe it's another I'm not 22 and scared so you know maybe I'll try it again sometime soon but you know definitely I definitely don't want to just be an actor forever but that being said right now since it was so many years of me not booking anything and and looking from the outside you know into that world and now that I'm you know knock wood like in that world and have this fledgling career I I am enjoying just acting right now you know (laughs) that's such a blessing yeah exactly Yeah. yeah yeah oh you grew up with a working actor as your father. Mm-hmm. And what did your mom do? She uh, was an actor for many years in the theater, mostly. Um, and then when I came along, she she says retired, but she never stopped. So I don't, I don't think that's an accurate phrase. Um, but she's an artist. She's a poet. She's a writer. Um, she's the family historian. Um, mm. She's My mother is an incredibly talented woman. Um, she has... A couple of works published by Criterion that I highly recommend about the experience of uh, making a movie called Walker that was shot in Nicaragua, directed by Alex Cox, which, TMI, 
I was conceived on that set. Hey. So, yes. you know, it's a you know, little history there. Is that in the BTS? Uh, if I'm not sure. I kind of hope not. But knowing my parents, it just might be. <laughs> what was it like growing up uh, with a dad that was out there um, in the industry? Um it was, it was fun. I mean, it was always fun to see him when he got a part, you know. On the other hand, there was a certain amount of anxiety to it because as a kid, I was definitely aware that my dad didn't have steady work like oh. other dads mm-hmm. or moms. You know, he didn't go to an office every day and then come back at 5 o'clock for dinner. So when there was fear of, okay, I haven't worked in a while, when's the next job coming? I remember being very invested in all of my dad's auditions, you know. So... Right. The, what I'm grateful for in that is that it taught me to, to be very realistic about this industry. There was never a second that I thought it's just like fairy dust, you know, and you get discovered at the at the pharmacy counter ordering a milkshake or something like that. <laughs> like I saw the blood, sweat and tears that goes into and how hard it is to book any job. To this day when I book a job, I'm like, how? How does anyone book any job ever? So, um but it was so much fun and it was very enriching. Um, I grew up with a lot of a really beautiful art, you know, artistic community. You know, people are always over at our house and I got to, um, my parents always included me in that. There was never like, okay, you go to the kids table. It was like, I was right there and I, I was uh, having, you know, adult conversations with the other adults at, at, at nine years old and that kind of shaped who I am <laughs> in, in, in a large way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah, I definitely saw my dad struggle and I saw his accomplishments. And so I got what I'd like to think is a pretty well-rounded view of life in the industry. Yeah. And they weren't just, you know, they weren't just Hollywood people. They were, they were artistic people. You know, I remember uh, we went to see, was it Yvonne Rayner? Um, yeah. And like the, they were exposing you to other sides of it all. Very um, much. Is that why you ended up, you know, pursuing experimental theater? Definitely. No, I was always because they always took me to theater and 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 provided me with a lot of exposure to the arts, and I was always attracted to the weirder stuff because I just thought like it's just even amazing that this is something you can do. You don't have to do kitchen sink drama. You can do. So I was. They uh, sharpened my curiosity to what the boundaries are to theater. What does theater mean? What is art? What does performance art mean? What is even being like an actor on screen? Like, where can that take you? You know? Um, so I credit my parents a hundred percent with my interest in the, uh, in the weird. Yeah. <laughs> what about, uh, I remember hearing Glenn Close talking about, uh, needing to, to sit down and give like a real deep psychological conversation with her grandkids when 101 Dalmatians came out. When you were somewhat young, when your dad was playing some characters that were like, you know, maybe bad guys. Uh Like, I think I remember going to the movies with my dad. Was it Clear and Present Danger? Um, And he like plays like a drug lord. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was there um, a conversation that you remember your parents having of like, here's what this is, you know, like, don't be, you know, explaining the difference. No, they just didn't allow me to see it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. There was that, that was, you know, I actually just re- only watched Clear and Present Danger in like the last year oh, well. because they were just, no, we're not going to. And I think the reason for that is because there was a bit of a whoopsie that happened with me where I was like three years old and I walked into a room and they were watching Repo Man, which was one of my dad's first films. And, and my mom's like, oh, what, what 
message daddy. And I sat down and then it was the scene where he opens the trunk of a car and gets zapped by an alien and oh turns into a skeleton and then a smoking pair of boots. And I lost my shit. <laughs> I freaked out because I didn't know. I was like, I, I remember like looking at the screen and then looking at my dad and then looking back at the screen and being like, ah! <laughs> so I think after that they were like, maybe she's a, a sensitive child. I'm a sensitive adult. So I think after that they were like, let's just, you know, I mean, I could watch like, you know, Airbud World Pup, but yeah. <laughs> not a clear presentation. It was in that Airbud World Pup. That's funny. It's a not sequel? the. It's a sequel. That's <laughs> it's <terrible>. a sequel. <laughs> you know, you take what comes. Yeah, That's yeah. So great. You know, you, you sometimes it's clear and present danger. Sometimes it's Disney movies. It's all a paycheck. <laughs> Too funny. When did you know that you wanted to be an actor? Did you go to performing arts high school? No, I didn't go to performing arts high school, but I did go to high school with a strong performing arts department. Mm-hmm. I'd say I, I knew at like seven. Yeah. I went to go see a production of Julie Tame. Moore's The Green Bird when it was in Anaheim and it just melted my brain and I just turned to my dad and mom and said I want to do that I specifically said I want to be an actress on the stage like I want to go create that magic Mm -hmm. and then my dad had a very serious conversation with me about how difficult it is and what the odds are and make sure you really really want to do it and so I spent 10 years being an overscheduled LA girl going to soccer and painting classes and all this stuff and oh maybe I want to be a figure skater nope don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. um and then at around 17 I decided nope there's nothing I love more in the world than acting so so great that he was still supportive Uh, my dad sat me down and was like you are never to go into the restaurant business (laughs) he's like and so I was like okay feeder and he's like sure sure. it's not the restaurant business (laughs) (laughs) anything but that yeah he I think wanted to probably I'm sure that it's uh, on some level he wanted to be like no 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 but he also knows from his own experience that if it's something that you want to do like good luck stopping someone so he just said really make sure you know Yeah. yeah Were you auditioning for stuff as a teenager? Um, every once in a blue moon mm-hmm. because I've known... So my dad and I share the same manager, and I've known this man, Ben Levine. He's like my big brother since I was seven years old. So every once in a while, he, you know, he came to all my high school plays, and he would, oh, Olivia would be great for this part, and I would go in. But I didn't actively pursue it. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing through college. I would every once in a while have something pop up. But I didn't um, actively pursue it full-time until after college because I just... I guess at a, at a certain level, I knew that I really needed that time to explore and to train, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I <laughs> I was, I think like three or four, they took me in, I auditioned for Kristen Dunst's part in uh, Interview with a Vampire. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. And it was the same thing. Ben was like, oh, you got to meet there. No, I guess I was, was I that young? I think that's how I was. Anyway, um, I, I, I <laughs> I went in and I didn't want to do it and I made my dad promise me beforehand that I would get a cheeseburger afterwards if I went in for this interview. So I go in for the interview and I'm just like squirming around on the couch and like not answering any of the casting director's questions. And she's like, you know, trying to engage. I'm like, well, what do you do with the show? And then at a certain point, I just turned to my dad and said, is this over yet? Can I get my cheeseburger now? And he was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of killed the child actor thing. I was like, no, I can't be bribed with cheeseburgers every time. (laughs) What's your experience of seeing friends that we went to school with on TV? Being that you are one. I know what my experience (laughs) is seeing you on TV. What's your experience seeing others? I'm thrilled. 
I'm completely thrilled anytime I see someone doing the dang thing. It's super, super exciting. I think that there was definitely, I mean, I'll be completely honest, before I was booking things, there's that, you got to acknowledge that 5% of like, oh, I wish that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been just... That is the number, by the way. Every, yeah. I think everybody like, has brought that up. It's like, it's 5%. It is. It's like, <laughs> you know, and there's no point in denying it and saying, no, I'm a perfect human being mm-hmm. and I've never experienced jealousy once in my life. Mm-hmm. I think a reality of being an actor is experiencing some amount of jealousy. Um, but it's not really jealousy of the person. It's like deep want within yourself, you know. Right. Um, but I'm I I've. It's so exciting to see people that you talked about the dream with going and doing it. It's like it's super exciting and inspiring. Right. It definitely makes the dream seem much more tangible. Yeah. Just knowing someone who's gone through the same path in a sense. Yeah. And now they're doing it. And well, and it was so exciting to see, especially people from ETW and, and also CalArts doing it in non-traditional ways, like writing a book and then having the book turned into something, or mm-hmm. you know, creating their own work, or you know, you know, like be, you know, producing or going a completely different path. But still, you know, it's such I, I all the time I reflect and take stock of like, I know a lot of really cool people. And I'm so lucky to know so many cool people. It's, it's very cool. If you weren't an actor or a creative, what would you go do in this life? Or a creative. So just yeah. like what... Yeah, if you had to do something... Well, I would argue that creativity is involved okay, in okay. everything, but... So, yeah. And if not this industry. If you were not in the show business industry. Right. If you had to leave yeah. show business, where would you go? It could be geographic, you know... We know that you once wanted to be a Pilates instructor. I did. That's true. <laughs> I could see myself being a yoga instructor, a Pilates instructor, mm-hmm. something, you know, positive for the body. Um, or I could see myself, you know, I, I'd say I could see myself running a restaurant or being in the kitchen. Uh-huh. But I think that's a bunch of BS. I, I think that, like, I, I like cooking at home. But as soon as I'd be under the, like, intense time constraints of restaurant life, I'm sure I'd crumble. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm like, too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it takes all the fun out of it. Writing of some kind, which I know is still a creative thing, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I could definitely see myself as like a a crunchy poet in Portland. I'm, I always watch TV and, and think to myself, like, especially like after I got sober and I was like, well, this is a moment where I could reinvent myself. Like, I don't have to go back into producing. I don't have to like start acting and writing and I, I could be anything. So I was like watching a lot of TV, like taking my mind off of you know, that, that thing that's on your shoulder when you first get sober and I'd be like watching The Good Fight and I see Sarah Steele and she's playing a private investigator. I'm like, oh, I could do that. You know, like <laughs> I, I had a million ideas. of You like, mean oh, be the private investigator? Yeah, the yeah, private the investigator. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but really, I think I just wanted to be the actor playing the private yeah. investigator. It's like yeah. I wanted to be the person that like owns the restaurant on TV. Actually. Yeah, ex- <laughs> that's like, exactly. <laughs> I want to be like a character, you know, from a movie about cooks and it's really more about my love life than food. You know? For <laughs> sure. <laughs> For sure. Oh, my gosh. Um, What would you advise somebody who hasn't been able to get anything off the ground? Don't give up, which is such a cliche, but I cannot tell you how many times I just felt like I was a failure and I had nothing to show and I was doing everything right, quote unquote, but I but nothing was sticking and I just wanted to give up so badly. And I think all the time about if I had listened to those voices in my head that said, what's the point? You're a failure. 
Why do you think you're special? Millions of people don't make it in Hollywood every day. Why do you think you deserve a spot? You know, if I had listened to those voices, I, 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 sh- I really had, like I shudder to think. Just 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 one day at a time, like take the next opportunity. Don't try to not think about like, oh, gosh, if I don't get this one job, then the whole house of cards is going to come down or thinking about where am I going to be 25, 30 years from now? Just every opportunity that comes along, show up fully and don't shoot yourself in the foot and give yourself the chance to truly express yourself. And then let it go once it's over. Mm-hmm. Go to the beach. Don't go back to your apartment and drink and cry and hate yourself. Go do something positive. Get that energy out. Tear it up. Throw it in the wind. Mm-hmm. You know? I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of that mindset of not operating on fear. Yeah. Just letting yourself do it. And if you fail at it the one time, do it again. I have had so many bad auditions. So many failures. Mm -hmm. I had a bad audition last week. You know, even if you're super successful, it's you're going to have good days and bad days. So there's never like a point that you arrive where everything is just okay now. Right. And I can just do this and it's like fine and everything's coming up roses. No, it's going to be a struggle forever. So, you know, be friends with the struggle. Make friends with your bad auditions and your fears and your anxieties because they are teaching tools at the end of the day. What's your relationship to social media? Do you see it just as a way to connect with people in your life or for like mindless entertainment? Or do you see it as like, oh, this is a platform where I can gain followers, potentially get sponsorship deals, you know, that type of thing. Like where this is like um, complementing your come up in the industry is sort of. I can definitely see it as a tool. I don't treat it that way because I can't. It's just like it, it gives me too much anxiety and I'm totally addicted to Instagram and I'm mm-hmm. on there all the time. But I try and not like think of it in too strategic of a way. It's just like mm-hmm. get, get some followers. Great. If if you guys liked this post, that's awesome. Um, but I have a lot of friends who really work at it and they have found uh, that it's helpful for yeah. them. I just feel like I'm the type because I've heard stories about like, oh, I lost this part because I didn't have as many followers as this other really? actor. I it's hear real. that all the time yes. and it's, it's shocking to me. So but real. It's real. I was actually on um, that music video that I did with um, the TV show West Side, mm-hmm. Sean Patrick Murray's <clears throat> show. And I remember hearing someone on set talking about how they were going to feature um, feature one girl primarily because she had 500,000 followers or something, but the girl that they initially wanted wow. to put in the forefront only had like 2,000 followers. And they were like, oh, sweetie, we're actually going to put you over here. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the the business of it, it's like they have these huge marketing budgets. They spend so much money on marketing. But if, like, the lead actress can just post something for 500,000, a million followers, it's like that's going to reach all those people and they're not going to have to really pay for that marketing. See, but that's the thing. That's like the double edged sword when it comes to social media because Mm. there is value within those posts. So then, so many people who have large followings brands want them to just post things for free and it's like selena gomez is getting paid five hundred thousand dollars 
per post. Yeah, know your so, worth. Monetize. You know what you I know? mean? Yeah. Like, um, I, I always think of it. It's, it's like the same thing when I struggled with like, oh, I'm not skinny enough to be an actress. Like I, I struggled so much with like body image. And then I realized even if I did lose 40 pounds, I don't know, got some plastic surgery, like went to the extreme, I'm still going to be me. And no one's going to buy me as that person. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, (laughs) I'm a character actress and I love it. I am not the type of person who's like, oh, you know, I've got like 550,000 followers, so you should cast me in your music video. Mm -hmm. So I, I would rather just protect myself by like staying away from it because I feel like sometimes you get into that trap of, of like, buying into it and 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 getting you know getting all your followers and stuff like that but then you're stuck there and then it's like what if you lose the followers what if they take that away and you're back down to 2,000 followers what are you going to do then so I'd rather just stay at around 2,000 followers and and be like well that's if you're hiring me you're not hiring me for that you're hiring me for something Mm -hmm. else Mm -hmm. well that's the other thing it also determines or showcases more of your value as an actress when you know that a company or a a producer, a director, a casting director is wanting to get someone who has this clout on social media but still chooses the actress or the actor who doesn't have all of that because the talent was there yeah. or they fit the character. And I feel like that's how we should be casting roles anyway. It, it really like, is. It really is. I mean, it's the same thing, too, about, like, I've never wanted to lie about my age. I decided this, like, when I was, like, a teenager, that I'm never, I'm just, I was born in 1987, proud of it. If I have to lie about my age to get a job, I don't want that job. Right. Because it's fake. It's It doesn't feel good yeah. to have to put on that role every day. It's like you'd rather go and just play the role that you were casted in. You know, it's <laughs> awkward, too, like, you know, going in for, like, if I'm, I'm 31 and I'm, you know, they call me in for a part for, like, a 23-year-old. Like, what do I, what do I do? Put some scotch tape and be like, oh, my God. Like, it's not, it's not going to work anyway, so might as well just be yourself. You weren't. But like, it's funny. Oh the face God. tapes work for Gaga. They the face tapes work for Face tapes work for Gaga. Well, that's an art with that is an art. That's yeah, a different okay. thing. Right. The, but the reality is it's like most people who are playing 16 on TV are like 27 to like 34. Yeah. So it's like Crazy. you watch like the reboot of 90210 from a few years back and every person who was on that cast was, I think, like 32. Yeah, the originals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely like in the 90s and 80s, there was that phase of like, you know, you know, the high school and like, it was like, these are all a bunch of 38 year olds. What's going on? (laughs) Right. The experience of your career thus far has sounded really joyous. Have you had um, moments of uh, disenchantment uh, with those around you? Have you seen misogyny? Have you seen sexism, um, uh, discrimination without naming names? I have been very fortunate that I have not experienced any extreme misogyny or sexual harassment or um, disrespect on set. I have heard of a lot of people going through it and it depends on what you mean by like my, the joy in my career has really been like only the last couple of years. There were a lot of years before that there was not a lot of joy there. Um, So just to paint that reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I I really have to say, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I've always felt safe on every set. And I feel also very fortunate that I'm coming up in a time where that we have voices. Mm-hmm. Even five years ago, there wasn't that type of... Like, I don't feel 
hesitant if something if there was an issue on set I would not hesitate for one second bringing it up right I would feel completely safe and wouldn't feel like I would be you know and if they fired me hmm, ding dong New York Times right you know because we have that kind of power now which is incredible and I hope it continues do you go to protests ever um infrequently I'll be honest infrequently um but you know I've been to the women's marches and, Mm -hmm. and things like that yeah Okay. Do you have um, a favorite for of the Democratic nominees right now? <laughs> Sorry to go politics. No, on no, it's curious. fine. I'm completely <laughs> overwhelmed, to be perfectly honest. Fair enough. I don't like Joe Biden. Yeah. Same. Um, by Uncle Joe. By Uncle Joe. Though we will vote for you if you are the listen, guy. I, listen, and that's <laughs> and that's my thing. At the end of the day, I am dem till I die. Yeah. Get rid of this guy. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like. Joe Biden, everybody wants to put their backing behind him because, oh, we know him, it's familiar, whatever. And, of course, we'll vote for him to get the fool who's there out of office. But the reality is, and I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but everyone, please look into the policies of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren because regardless of how old you think they are or whatever, like, they're the people who are actually trying to create change in Elizabeth Warren's super... um, super millionaire tax would actually change our country so much like a two percent tax on anyone who's making 50 million dollars or more will pay for health care for our entire country pay for college for our entire country and i don't want student loans anymore so (laughs) yeah Yeah. and if i were to pick an early favorite i think it'd be elizabeth warren yeah but i'm policy i'm trying to just like because i feel still really I'm still stressed out from 2016 and that experience of, I'll completely admit it, I was one of those idiots who was super shocked when he got elected and then it's been me learning that lesson for the last four years of like, don't, you know, I've I've gotten cynical. I've been like, you know, because I was all like, had my little bottle of champagne in the fridge, like first woman president, (laughs) and then at the end of the night I was just like, we're all gonna die. Smash it, yeah. I know. You had that bitch too. Smash it. No, bottle. I literally said, I don't wanna open it. You know, yeah. I wouldn't open it. So don't just let it chill I'm, for another four years. I'm just like putting my toe in the water and like, okay, and I don't wanna get my hopes up, and you know, it's scary. Well, I think we have to get our hopes up. I still, yeah. I think we have to, we have to come from a place of hope still. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people to pick from right now, so yeah. we'll see how it all pans out in the next few months yeah. and such. Ugh. My gosh. So, um, are you, you said you had a bad audition last week. <laughs> um, are you audition? how frequently are you auditioning right now? Um, it's a little, it's a slower time of the year. Everyone's up, up front and, you know, pilot season's over and mm-hmm. the pilots have been picked through and decisions have been made. So right now it's, it's like three a month. Um, okay. and then during, during pilot season, it's like three a week. Yeah. So, um, which is more than I was, aud- three a month is more than I was auditioning four years ago. So, um, I definitely am nervous. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'm amongst friends. And so I'll, I'll be honest. I'm definitely nervous about like, what if this is the end, you know? Cause I had a nice little run from Fargo because yeah. Fargo had the prestige to be able to push me to like, I would go into audition rooms and people would like be interested in my work mm-hmm. instead yeah. of me having to, you know, bribe them to pay attention to me <laughs> um so i feel like that gravy train or that afterglow of fargo is 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 about you know fizzled out and that's not a negative thing necessarily it's just like you know time moves on the mm-hmm. dogs bark the caravans go by so i am uh, feeling a little bit of anxiety but i know that it'll all no matter what it's all going to be okay yeah no matter what 
I guess I want to ask, how have you changed since we last saw one another? I'm happier. I was so miserable at the age that I knew you. That was some of my darkest times. I, I really just like could cry thinking about that girl and how mm-hmm. sad she was and how much she hated herself and how much of a performance she was always putting on to make other people think that she wasn't miserable. Um, that's exhausting to live that way, to constantly be maintaining your mask and then dealing with the faces of confusion when you take the mask off and they're like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You're like, this is actually where, how I am all the time. You know, um, I feel free of the burden of... I mean, trauma does something to the body and the central nervous system that I understand more now, that it's not just about how you feel, it's also about how, like, your skeleton feels in your skin. And I feel like I had some serious chains around me that I didn't even know were there, and I thought that's just what life was, that you wake up every morning and you have weights on you. And now I know that you can wake up every morning and put the weights even if you can't fully make them disappear, you can put them in a drawer. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Well, you're going to keep us updated as yes. to when you <laughs> book that series regular. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to let all of our listeners know. And you said Lodge 49 Season 2 comes out when? Uh, August 12th. Okay, so... Right after watching. The Terror on AMC. Awesome. Oh, all yeah. right. So, so then we're going to schedule to release this episode like right before that. Oh, yeah. You're, are you on the first episode? Uh, Do you know? No. Okay, so we're, we're, we're going to plan this out. So it's the second week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but really, no, it's because everyone should watch those. They shouldn't just watch <laughs> no, one. They yeah. should watch the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go get caught up in the meantime. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for making your way here and back into my life. Oh, this thanks, you guys. This is such a pleasure. It's so wonderful. So it was wonderful to have you.